I never say, all right, this is my system and you guys are going to fit my system. I always hated playing for those type of coaches. The best coaches, you play to your strengths. A good coach is a guy that allows his players to be themselves. Give them a system or some type of structure to play within and then coach them that way. The most important thing is being unselfish, playing defense, competing every night, and playing for your teammates. If you can do those things, you'd be good with me. Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome former NBA player and current head coach of Camden High School, Rick Brunson. Coach Brunson is here today to discuss the habits he learned about sticking around in the NBA for nine years, teaching fundamentals to talented youth, and we talk late game ISOs and post entry passes during the always fun start, sub, or sit. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to both the podcast and our Sunday newsletter, where you can access weekly tactical breakdowns and find out more about SG Plus, a resource and community current members are calling the best platform to learn, think, and connect with other coaches. Visit slappingglass.com for more information today. And now, please enjoy our conversation with Coach Rick Brunson. You've been someone that you were in the NBA for about a decade and someone that was able to stick around as a player and then also as a coach throughout your career and wondering the habits and the skills and the things that you learned as a player in the NBA to stick around for so long that you now try to take as a head coach at the high school level to teach your guys? Oh, well, for me, you know, I started back in high school, just learned how to work hard and never settle. I mean, I was cut, I think like six times before I even had opportunity to play in the NBA, but I just kept telling myself, you know, I felt like I could play in that league. At some level, whether it was a backup, a third guard, but I felt I could play there. So I, I didn't let it discourage me. I just kept coming back, coming back. And then finally, I got my first shot. And when I got my shot, you know, I took pride in this and I never got cut again. I stayed for nine years and obviously it was nine best years of my life and just playing at that level. But to me, you just got to know who you are as a person, as a player, and just continue to be working. Coach, you bring up a real interesting point. And I think, especially with younger kids are coming up like, knowing who you are as a person, how did that process evolve or how did you get to the point where you kind of realize who you are as a person, as a player that allowed you then to your career to kind of flourish? I played for a guy, obviously, Coach Channing. He instilled a lot of things into us as young men. I just think a lot of time, like today, I see these guys, they watch TV and, and I hear them, like kids, hey, uh, man, that guy sucks. I'm better than him. Look, he's on the bench. You know? And they don't understand how good a guy on the bench, how good he really is. And, for me, I never said, oh, well, that guy was bad. I'm better than him. I just felt like, you know, what is my advantage or disadvantage of playing against somebody? And I always thought being in the best shape of my life, outworking somebody. I was more of a defensive type player, so I will put no emphasis on that. I didn't go into, you know, camps trying to show that I could shoot or show that I could do this. I just stayed in my little room and became the best person, the best player I could be. If it wasn't good enough, then I wasn't going to make it. Coach, you mentioned you know you were cut six times before you eventually landed your spot and then you were never cut again. 
if you can remember back, I'm wondering what the next couple of weeks or months were like every time you got cut that you did to then get yourself back to a place where you could have another shot. Obviously, you go your whole life, always making a team. Now I was All-American. I thought I had a pretty good college career. And then you go to the 76 and it's like, wow, like I'm right here. Like I'm knocking on the door. And I literally, this is a true story. Coach Thibodeau was an assistant coach. Mo Teeks was assistant. John Lucas was the head coach. And I'm literally like, we have a game. We're going to Charlotte on a Friday. We had practice Thursday, like a shoot around, like before we left or something to that effect. It was the night before we were about to play. And they cut me like right there. And I'm no different than the next person. Like I went back to my dorm joy and i don't think i ever i left for like two weeks i was so disappointed so distraught because you don't know like what's next but after about two weeks i got my mind right and i started just you know working i eventually went over to australia that year and then i came back and started plugging away at it again in the cba training camps so when i got cut again to me i was like you know what i just gotta keep knocking on the door because I think I can play at this league. I just kept going. Coach, kind of shifting a little bit from your playing career, now your coaching career, and specifically now the role you're in with Camden High School. And I know you have a lot of talent. And wondering as a coach now, how you have viewed developing a system, a tactical style of play around the talent that you have? So I've learned, obviously, from all the coaches I played for, the style that I wanted to play from a basketball standpoint. I never say, all right, this is my system and you guys are going to fit my system. I always hated playing for those type of coaches, right? The best coaches, you play to your strengths. So if my strength next year is big follow the system, to me, that's not really a good coach. A good coach is a guy that allows his players to be themselves. Give them a system or, you know, know, some type of structure to play within and then, you know, coach them that way. The most important thing is being unselfish, playing defense, competing every night and playing for your teammates. If you can do those things, you'd be good with me. Staying on this thread of developing your tactical strategy with such a talented team, defensively, where do you fall in that, you know, I think when a lot of, we have more athletes, we're bigger, let's press, let's run. Like, where do you fall on building defensive habits and using the talent to be effective? So obviously, I have a unique situation. I have eight scholarship players, Division One, And so my job, to teach them what it's going to be like at the next level. I don't have to teach defense. I got a seven-foot-one guy that can block everything. I got quick guards, but I wouldn't be helping them grow. So what I try to do, we have a defensive philosophy. You know, we don't deny the ball. We don't let guys go middle. We trap the box. And I just try to teach that. The biggest compliment that I got so far was Lance Ware. We have a kid at Kentucky named Lance Ware. That Calipari, you know, he's not the most talented guy, but he said he was the most ready freshman he had last year. They understood the game, they had a great IQ, they understand defensive concepts. Coach, how are you finding kids in this generation or younger players are learning? You know, what's the best tactics you use to get them to get a transfer, to get a concept through and to help them develop? Repetition, teaching, and playing through monotony. Because, you know, I always tell them this, I'm never going to get tired of repeating myself, ever. You guys will get tired of hearing me. I got no problem of repeating myself over and over and over. Because they're kids. You have to repeat yourself. You have to have repetition. But, you know, it's where the biggest problem for young kids is their parents. So I also talk to their parents. I tell them, I'm the coach. This is what I want to do. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. 
So when you get in the car, I tell my kids, I swear to God, when you get in the car after practice, after game, your dad, your mom is like, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. As a player, you should turn to your parents and say, yo, you need to be quiet. If the coach finds out you're talking about what I should be doing in the car, he's going to bench me. <laughs> so don't listen to your parents. Listen to me. Hey, coaches, we'd like to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Instat. They have been hands down the biggest resource we've used in generating our content. Their expansive database of over 30,000 players and 7,000 teams gives us the access we need to scout, notice trends, and learn from some of the best coaches in the game today. So join coaches of all levels who are using Instat to better prepare for their opponents, self-scout, and develop their players. By going to instatsport.com form and entering the promo code SGPOD, coaches can receive one free month of Instat Scout and 10% off their subscription. That's SGPOD at instatsport.com form. Thanks again to Instat for their support. And now back to our conversation. Coach, kind of going back to the, what we were talking about earlier a little bit too. I mean, saying you have, you know, eight scholarship level players on a high school team, that means you're bringing three scholarship guys off the bench. And I'm wondering about how you deal with the egos and the emotions of young kids who are supremely talented, but trying to fit in on a team. We only have two seniors. Most of our kids are juniors. They have offers. So one senior, his name is Rashir. He's going to St. Joe's. Very, very talented, but doesn't know how to play hard the whole time. So what I try to do is communicate with him, with his parents, so they know like why he is playing the minutes that he's playing, why it's important, because it's a bigger picture. Like, do you want him to be a starter in high school and be the man and go to college and ride the bench? Or understand what he has to do, not play a lot as a senior, but when he gets to college, he's ready to go, ready to play. Because it's, it's about another year or two before this kid, you know, grows into his own. You know, he's kind of shy. He's not motivated at times. He's always late. <laughs> I'm always trying to teach. And I just think you learn now as he gets older, it'll be much easier. Coach, with such young kids and like, you know, they have some bad habits and I don't want to say maybe lazy is not the word, but like you said, they just aren't playing hard. How much external motivation versus internal motivation does a player need in order to really retain it and start to play hard all the time? I was talking about this the other day with, with a couple of the coaches. I would say 55% of coaching for me is motivation. Motivate, motivate, motivate. And one thing about me, if you're not playing hard, I take you out and I get on you, but I put you right back in. I'm not going to bench you. You're still a kid. So I'll take you out, tell you what you need, go in there, show me. And then when you do it, I tell you, see, if you do X, Y, and Z, this is the results. So to me, it's always teaching. So I would say 50% is motivating. 25% is plays, and the other 25% is them having talent. You know? Yeah, right. Coach, just on that same thread of motivation, internal, external, and I guess kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, where you were around guys as a player in the NBA that I'm sure were supremely talented, but maybe at times under-motivated, and then other guys that were not as talented, but extremely internally motivated. Do you see the same things now at the high school level? And if you do, how do you, I guess, besides maybe benching them, try to have them see how that may or may not affect their future? Coaching in high school, to me, like I'm in the building every day, so I'm always with them. We have six universities in Philadelphia. I take them to the universities 
to show them practice and see how guys are playing. And for me, like I've made a team over guys that were way more talented than I was. And, you know, they got cut and I did. I made a team where a guy that had a guaranteed contract. You know what I mean? That was more talented than me. So I just try to show those things and tell them, again, can you get to all of them? I would think I can, but I know deep down you are who you are. Yeah. But I'm never going to stop teaching. I'm always going to keep teaching until you walk out the doors. Coach, kind of sticking with that on teaching, high school practices, how you teach, how long they are, how difficult they are. Can you give us a little window into what a typical practice would look like? Our practices are very, very intense. I would say more geared towards NBA-type pace practice. We go for about two hours. We do a lot of shooting, a lot of drills, a lot of teaching. I don't let anything slip. Like We're 49 and 1 in two years. But like I tell the kids, we play against ourselves every single day in practice. That's what's going to get us better. So it's intense. We drill. We work on pick and roll drills, defensive shell drills, post drills. Things that I think is going to happen in college, I try to work with those kids on so they're prepared. Coach, with your drill work, how controlled is it? Do you like three on three, four on four? What are kind of the specifics of when you want to do a good drill to teach a concept? So we call it four lines. I got this from Tibbs. This is Every day. And we go free throw line, half court, free throw line, baseline, full court, four lines. And we do defensive closeouts, up and back. Then we do defensive closeout, slide right twice, slide left twice. Defensive cl- no, up and back. Same thing, concept, slide to the right, jump shot. Slide to the left, jump shot. Like the basic concept of defense. And then, you know, obviously the red drill, which is like a shell drill. And it's basically teaching guys how to front the post. You know, so we go through things like that and we may play out of it. We rarely scrimmage. It's like, that's what they want to do. When we play in the games, that's when I let them play. I let them play. I don't try to show the world I can coach. I do that brag. It's really interesting what you're saying because when you have younger kids who obviously maybe have been playing the game for only six, seven years and probably not really been taught like at such a high level, how important you find it on teaching and stopping and doing more drills and avoiding the five on five. To me, it's very important. To me, that's what, see, I've learned this. Like, you can't skip steps, right? Let's say I, I just play five on five and we kill people and the kid is great. I have the number one player in the country and DJ Wagner and everyone's, oh, he's great. At some point, there's going to be a stop sign. At some point, it's going to be somebody just as good as you, just as talented. What's going to get you over? What you understand of the game, the IQ, how hard you play, how selfish you play. Those are the things that the drills come from. Everyone can do five on five. So the compliments that we get as a program is I've never, I don't know if you know anything about our history of our school, Camden High School, but it used to be the Myrtle capital of the country. It's a rough, rough background, but we're the most talented, but we're the most disciplined team in the state. Like you never see us get out of character. And that's scary because you, now you got talent and you got discipline. That wasn't always the case here. Coach, playing hard with a talented team, I would imagine at a certain point for yourself, just to getting, I guess, practicing hard is how I should probably phrase it. When you know, you know, you're a team that's talented and maybe have upcoming games where you're favored to win by a large amount, how are you having competitive and difficult practices and motivating them? Even like you said, maybe the best team they're going to face is playing against themselves. So for me, those are games I coach the hardest. They know. Like when we play against good players, I don't have to worry about them. They play hard. Every kid is going to try to put just enough into the game when you play against a bad team. Like, right? oh, I'm going to put just enough into it. And that's when I go crazy. So I coach my hardest when we play against lesser talent. You know, people think, oh, why are you so crazy? 
they're kids, you know, you shouldn't be yelling and screaming. No, you have to be ready to play at all times, no matter who you're playing against. So my favorite saying is, how did Kobe Bryant or LeBron James or Michael Jordan ever become good? Who can they play against? Because they're the best player in the world. So how can they become good? They learn to play against themselves. That's how they become better. Hey coaches, this segment of Start, Sub, or Sit is brought to you by our friends at Practice Planner Live. Practice Planner Live has combined all the components of effective, efficient, and time-saving practice planning into one easy-to-use platform, saving your most valuable resource as a coach, time. Ditch the Word docs and the scribbled legal pads for a simple point-and-click experience to build your drill directory, collaborate with your staff, and create clean, customized, and shareable practice plans in minutes. With over 75,000 practice plans created at the professional, collegiate, high school, AAU, and youth levels, Practice Planner Live is proven to raise the level of organization and effectiveness of any program. Listeners of the podcast can visit practiceplannerlive.com and register for a free 21-day trial and enter the promo code SGPOD to get 10% off your subscription. Thanks for listening. And now back to our conversation. We have a fun segment that we play here with every guest on the show called Start, Sub, or Sit. And we give you three basketball topics and we'll ask you to start one, sub one, and sit one. And then we can have a little fun discussion from there around it. So this first one, kind of an off the court, fun one for you. You've probably been on a lot of bus rides with high school kids and heard their conversations and what you know, high school guys are always talking about. And so start, sub, or sit, most likely conversations you'll hear from high school basketball players on a bus ride. So start would be the one you hear the most. So start, sub, or sit, talking about their shoes or their swag that they're wearing to the game. The second one is <laughs> highlights from the NBA from the night before that they're watching on their phones. Or the last option is the best player conversation, the MJ versus whoever you want to talk about conversation. So start us up or sit, what you hear on the bus. So the first thing we hear on a bus is, I mean, obviously you got 14 to 17 year old kids. Right. I mean, they talk about girls. Right. <laughs> they talk about what happened in school. They talk about these sneakers. They're always killing me because they think I can't dress, which I probably can. <laughs> That's interesting. So just so you know, we do a lot of joking because Again, I like personality, so I don't want my kids afraid of me. So I allow them to, you know, talk about me, talk about my bald head, or <laughs> talk about my, you know, my sneaker game and all this crazy <laughs> stuff. We have a great time, but it's a lot. Whispering, they talk about girls. They don't want me to hear that. But when they talking a lot, they talk about their, their sweatsuit or, the, you know, their sneakers, their haircut, and all the other crazy, or the Instagram posts or whatever the hell they be doing. So it gets pretty funny. Coach. With high school kids, how do you find the balance between, yeah, like joking with them, you know, you want to have an open door, you want to, you know, help them grow as men, but then also being their coach and being demanding? I'm different. I'm raised different. Coach Cheney was my hero. So I knew I'd be myself no matter what around coach. I never had to hide anything. So laughing and joking is fine with me because they know when to turn it on and when to turn it off. I don't have to tell them. That comes from building a relationship, being around them all the time. Obviously, when we're playing the game or we're in practice and things are intense, no one's going to you know, say something out of pocket to make something funny. 
But as soon as we come off the court, I want them to be themselves. I don't like people or kids to be two different people. Be the same person all the time, no matter who you are. Just be that person. All right, coach. Our next start sub sit for you, moving back to the court. We call this tough to teach, and we're going to focus on the defensive end. So start sub sit in terms of the hardest thing to teach. Off ball help, so help side, defending without fouling or defending off ball screens? I would say in order, defending off ball screens, defending without fouling, and then the last would be help defense. With defending off ball screens, what are you finding seems to be the biggest hiccup for the kids? For me, I don't like to lose contact. Kids don't like to be screened. They don't want to be hit. So to me, you're teaching how to you know, lower your shoulder, you know, shoulder to hip, get through the screen, fight through screens, and that's the hard way. Defensively, I like contact. I don't like to lose contact. So that's really hard to teach that. Because again, at some point, you're going to get burned, whether it's in high school or college. And that's what I try to fight with them every day. Coach, following up the second one, your sub, I guess it would be, which was defending without fouling. If you were playing an aggressive style of defense or trying to get up and pressure the ball, especially at the high school level, how are you teaching kids not to foul, not to reach in? To me, I see this in high school. It becomes a respect thing. Like a lot of kids don't respect the game. Our point guard, Sion, who I love, he just constantly just trying to take the ball and he wonder why he gets ticky-tack fouls. To me, we go back to what I told you guys. It's like playing against yourself. You got to be disciplined to act like you're playing against the best point guard in the world and you're never going to strip him of the ball. So it's tempting to go take the ball for someone that you're just better than. And that's the hardest part. Are there drills that you use to try to teach on-ball defense, not fouling, not reaching? We do zigzags, which aren't behind your back for an hour. So no, this is this is very true. The first three days of trials, we do not have a basketball. We do all cardio and we do a lot of defensive stuff. And we do a lot of full court defensive slides, you know, with the coaches and the players is just sliding and the hands behind their back, not touching, not fouling. And obviously it gives you you build up your conditioning, but also you're trying to get back your discipline. Because you remember these kids are coming from AU all summer, so I got to reteach this again in November. <laughs> I can't <Yeah>. imagine. <laughs> and coach, just one more follow up on my end with teaching help side defense. Just drilling in on ways that you also teach guys to rotate, recover, come over, take a charge, all of that stuff. So we're actually a very, very, very good upside. That's easy to teach. You know, hey, look, we're not denying the play to the ball. We're on the you know the middle line, and we do take a lot of charges. So I'm actually proud of our guys. They kind of pick up that concept of help first. So we draw that every day. Piggybacking off of you take a lot of charges. I mean, I would assume with eight Division One athletes, you have some athleticism. And so is it your preference to take the charge versus do you teach verticality and challenging shots? Obviously, we have a seven-foot-one kid. He doesn't take any charges. <laughs> I want him blocking everything. So we have a kid, our point guard is 5'11". DJ 6'3". We have a lot of, like, guards. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to teach those guys, you know, put your body on the line, take charge. We do a charge drill where we put 14 guys at the top of the key and one guy in the basket and you run them over. You got 15 charges to take bring it out. <laughs> so, I, again, I'm trying to teach you, like, this is how you got to play basketball. You got to take a charge. He's like, you're not going to block a shot in the NBA, are you? 6'3", 6'4". Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> 
I would love to see that drill of 15 straight oh, charges yeah. for one guy. They don't like that drill. <laughs> they don't like that drill. So, if, so the only time we do that drill, if a guy punks out on a charge, we line him up next day. Everyone run him over. And if you take it easy on him, I'm going to run you over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. hey, we'll move on to our next start sub sick question for you here. This is a late game isolation. You're just isolating. Let's say you got the last second shot, whatever it is, you have the ball and you're going to isolate your best player. So three different ways that you can isolate them. So start, sub, or sit, just keeping the matchup and say going like a one, four flat and just letting them operate against the matchup they have. Sending a ball screen or go screen or some other action towards the ball to maybe confuse or switch the matchup or having that player come from off the ball, maybe sending them in through a pin down so they can maybe gain an advantage, have some space in which to play off that last action. I don't do any of those, but since I have to <laughs> like I, I like ISOs from the elbow, ISO from the mid post, but okay. So we have to take it the way Jesus. So <laughs> high school, we do obviously top of the key because it's high school. Go one, four flat and our best player, you know, go beat them. So we do that a lot with DJ. You know, DJ has a talent. You know, go beat them. You know, we use that at the end of quarters. One, four flat. The screen and roll, we don't do the slip out. To me, we're trying to teach them how to set a screen. But we won't even use that. And what was the other one? And then it would be like bringing them off the ball. So bringing them off a pin down. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So we do like a wide pin down, catch curl and go, or catch, you know, curl, you know, let the guy get out. And then you go one-on-one from the wing. So we do a lot of the pin down, and I would say the top of the key, ISO. Coach, if you're just going to ISO your best player at the top, how are you spacing or what are you telling them? Are you having any sort of action or movement with the other four guys to occupy the defense? It's hard in high school because there's no defense in three seconds. So we go one, four, flat, you know what I mean? No. And it's just hard. I mean, that's why I said in high school, you got to do at the elbow or the mid post, get everyone on the other side because if they help, now you have the weak side four. It's a long recovery. Yeah. Coach, the action that you mentioned a couple of times now is that you would isolate at the elbow or like a mid post catch. So is this also with Wagner as well? You'll isolate at an elbow and try to let him work from there? The Wag is he's obviously a talented scorer. We have another kid that we could do that with him, Elijah Perkins, a 6'5 kid. But yeah, Wagner is the main guy because he is just a crafty scorer. He just knows that he can shoot it, he can drive it. And that's probably like the, his biggest improvement this summer was the ISO at the elbow, ISO at the mid post. He's more of a jump shooter, you know, smooth player. You know, if he's isolating at an elbow, where are you trying to position the rest of the four guys? So we'll put the big in a dunker's position. Then we have big side wing type of his body. Once you zip her down, we clear him out. So we have three guys on the weak side. We're really four with the, with the big in the dunker position. And we put our point guard at the passage and elbow. It goes to the strong side corner. Okay. And, you, and our point guard can shoot, so you can't double off them. Okay. Coach, from a skill perspective, what are you teaching the isolation guy? Are you working on any footwork or any sort of moves out of the elbow? We do a lot of jab, step, shot. To me, it's one dribble or two dribbles. All the other stuff, it ain't going to work at the next level. So anything we teach ISO, which I'm, really not, I'm not a really big fan of ISO, but anything we do teach, it has to be one or two dribbles because the help's coming. Yeah, okay. You know, like, I love Carmelo Anthony. That's my favorite player. So I'm a big mellow fan. It's hard to double him because you can jab, step, shot. Jab, step, yeah. one dribble, pull up. But the dribble, 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 dribble. No, we're not doing that. Is James Harden, we're not, we're not doing that. 
<laughs> you can keep that segment too. You don't have to erase that. Okay. Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> All right, coach. Our last start sub sit for you is going back to kind of the tough to teach, but this time on the offensive end and looking at passing. Uh-huh. Tough to teach in terms of passing the post entry pass, a backdoor pass, or making the skip pass, whether against a zone or maybe off of a pick and roll, being able to find the opposite corner. The hardest thing right now for these high school kids is the post pass. Being a post passer is so difficult for these kids. It's funny, we do that drill. So we start at half court, we have the guy pressure, foul him, you have to work your way down to the wing and make a solid post pass. I got that from Coach Thibodeau. He does that in the NBA. Even in the NBA, they can't even post pass. So the post pass is the hardest pass in basketball, period. So we work on that. Just try to make our kids aware that the guy is open, I get it to him. With a 7-2 guy, or I guess when you have a guy with elite height, bounce pass or chest pass? Always in the air. It's crazy you say that because I got a 5'11 point guard. I said, why do you keep throwing a bounce pass? I don't understand you. He's seven feet. Throw it up to him. Make him go get it. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> How many post moves do you think a successful post player who's going to go on should have? In today's game, you need a jump hook right and left. Okay. You need a turnaround jump shot over both shoulders, and you need to step out and shoot threes. All that Kevin McHale stuff, they don't do that no more. Staying on this thread, how much of that jump hook are you working with out of the pick and roll? With like he rolls, seals, catch, jump hook, or is it all the stationary get position and we'll throw it in? So we have a young seven-footer. He's a junior. So we're just trying to take baby steps. Crab dribble to the middle, jump hook. Crab dribble, jump hook. Mm-hmm. Crab dribble to the middle, turn around, shoot a jump shot. He's an excellent three-point shooter, but that's what he wants to do. So we're trying to get him in the post to have a little variety. So he's going to be really, really good. His name is Aaron Bradshaw. Teaching the backdoor pass. I'm not sure how many backdoor plays you have or if they're just cuts off of your motion, but you prefer a one-handed pass as a backdoor pass, or how do you teach it? So great question. Again, learning from a great Hall of Fame coach. Any pass I teach is one-handed. The great point guards can pass with one hand. The coaches say, oh, use two hands. Well, the higher you go up, as soon as you bring your hand to the ball, it gives the athlete more time to get a deflection. So you got to learn to pass off the dribble. And so we do a lot of that. Right. So I know a lot of coaches don't like that, but that's advanced. You know, so I think like NBA, you got to pass off the dribble. You're going to get murdered. You're going to be turning the ball over like crazy. So we teach off the dribble, boom, one hand. We actually teach that. I do not like the two-hand pass. To me, like, it's going to get you in trouble as you get better. So maybe it's good for our team to do two hands, but it's not good for the player as he grows into, you know, a good basketball player. What about the jump pass? Oh, I love the jump pass, especially okay. against the press, definitely against, you know, zones. You know, you got to, you know, leave your feet to make a pass. But to me, it's how you leave your feet. You just don't run up and jump. You know, it's, you know, you dribble hard to somebody, jump stop, ball fake. He leaves his feet. As he's coming down, you're going up the pass. So it's the way you teach it. Well, coach, you're off the start, sub, sit, hot seat. We've got one more question for you as we close today. But before we do, thanks a lot for your time. We really enjoyed having you and talking today. Oh, I appreciate it. I thank you guys. So our last question for you, what's one of the best investments that you've made in your career, either as a player or as a coach? Well, oh, wow. The best investment I ever made would have to be my wife. She raised two beautiful kids. 
while I was trying to chase my dreams and make something out of myself, you know, playing on nine different teams in nine different cities, you know, driving her crazy and to her to have the, the balance for our kids. And, you know, obviously one graduated college and playing in the NBA, one's in college about to graduate. So that'd be it. The game's done a lot for our family, but she kept everything together. So yeah, I would say that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for more information on the free newsletter, Slapping Glass Plus, and much more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass. Oh, do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like slapping backboard. <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs> slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. That's good. Those are all <laughs> slapping glass.